Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi, and a very good afternoon to you, and wonderful to be in your company this afternoon. It is Wednesday. It's just gone 10 past 2 on this Wednesday afternoon here in Joburg. Beautiful day, and wonderful to be able to share some thoughts with you on this beautiful edition of Judaism 101.9. I had an experience earlier in the week which kind of woke me up a little bit and uh, sort of served as the inspiration behind uh, what I'm going to share with you today. And of course it has relevance because there is a direct link to the parsha of the week as well. And while this is not a parsha shear, um, to extrapolate some of the things that we should know about and we should do and to put into action certain modes of behavior, um, learnt or gleaned from the parsha is, I suppose, part of the mandate of Judaism 101.9 and what we do deal with on this show. So, <coughs> the experience that I had was um, doing a funeral earlier in the week for someone who um, clearly had a lot of non-Jewish connections and a lot of non-Jewish friends who attended, and family, I guess, who attended this funeral. So I would roughly say that um, the Jewish representation at the funeral was uh, like 25% and 75% non-Jews. And it struck me seriously um, in conducting this funeral and there were quite a lot of people, but it struck me as to just how quiet it was, that there was absolute silence in the walk up to the grave, in the actual funeral service. And certainly when um, I was delivering a message, a eulogy, um, there was absolute silence. Of course, people needed to be told what to do, and there was a lot of information that was being dispensed, but nobody said keep quiet, and yet people knew intrinsically that uh, they needed to keep quiet. And very often one is in attendance, as I'm sure you've had the experience as well, of uh, a Jewish funeral, and certainly when they get to be a little bit larger, when there's a lot of people, and that there is this din, there is a noise, a lot of people chitting and chatting and talking. In fact, it's kind of incidental that uh, people are at a funeral, it becomes, God forbid, but quite a an eventful social gathering. And the thought struck me, um, of course, at this funeral, that there is a vast difference, and perhaps it is something to mention, something to talk about, and something to help people with, and to give a little bit of direction, because perhaps we are making a little bit of a mistake um, and I'm going to begin with by telling you that, in fact, if you check carefully in the halacha of a cemetery, the Jewish law about cemeteries, it actually says that there should be no trees. Now, yes, a lot of people feel that uh, the trees, of course, they add color and beauty and uh, they make the whole getup of the cemetery less stark and a lot more palatable for those who come and visit and so on. So no argument about that. But the um, trees 
is a problem. And, of course, then, uh, yes, I'm a Kohen as well. And Kohanim will know that there are problems with trees in cemeteries because a tree overhanging a grave becomes like a roof. And if a Kohen stands under the shade of that tree, even if he may be 10 meters away from a grave, but if the grave is under the tree and he is under the tree, it is as though he is in an ohel. It is as though he is in a roofed, closed place. And there is the tumor, the impurity that um, ascends into that tree and descends, so to speak, onto him wherever he's standing. And therefore, trees become a problem for Kohanim. But perhaps there's something within that as well, and that the trees not only are problems for Kohanim who have to refrain from being close to uh, impurity and to death and so on uh, by law because they have to be ready to serve in the Beit HaMikdash and they can't defile themselves in this way. But it tells us that standing under a tree for anybody conveys that same impurity. It's just the Kohanim have to be careful of it, but the impurity is still there for everybody else certainly. But that's just one of the reasons. There is another reason and a more direct kind of a reason to what I started referring to. And that's that standing under a tree will cause people, or having trees rather in a cemetery, will cause people to congregate. And I say, just say, it's the wrong place to congregate. It's the wrong place to chapashmus. It's the wrong place to have a conversation. It's the wrong place to engage in idle chatter. It's the wrong place to do a business deal. And it's the wrong place to have that kind of conversation. If we're strict, and we need to be strict in a cemetery, that we don't flaunt our uh, mitzvahs. So you will see that religious men who would wear their tzitzit out will tuck them in when they go to a cemetery, or they should tuck them in when they go to a cemetery. We don't put on tefillin in front of a body or in front of a grave. We refrain from doing all mitzvahs, actually, in front of them except the burial of the dead. And the reason is that we don't want to be caught mocking the dead in any way, saying to them kind of, look, I can do this mitzvah and you can't. You're um, unable to perform this mitzvah and it's only for the living. We've got to be careful of that behavior. But I guess we've got to be careful as well of inadverted commas disrespecting and mocking them by our chatter, by our conversations. And the reason, of course, that it's pertinent to this week is because it's in this week's parsha that we begin with Avraham Avinu buying a burial place for his wife, for Sarah Imenu. In Hebron, Kiryat Arba, he buys the Marata Machpelah, the cave of Machpelah. And he makes sure that he attends to all the details of the burial or the funeral. Um, and then it says that he came to eulogize her and he came to cry for her. He comes to eulogize and to cry for her. And it got me thinking how appropriate it is, perhaps today, to share some thoughts with you about behaviors at the cemetery. And this is just one of them. Idle chatter, talking, should not take place at a funeral. You have a mitzvah to do. And that mitzvah is the burial of the dead. That's why you are there. You're not just there to put in an appearance to not be caught wanting or to at least be able to say to the family, listen, I was there, and to witness it and perhaps to see the mourners and comfort them. But there is a very, very real mitzvah that we do in what is called levayat hamet, levayas hames, accompanying the dead. That is the mitzvah. The mitzvah is to accompany them. It's not a mitzvah to be a pallbearer, and it's not a mitzvah 
to do any of the other actions, but it is a mitzvah. It's part of the whole mitzvah, burial, of course, but it is the mitzvah performed by the crowd, by the people who come there, men <coughs> and women alike, that we do the mitzvah of Leviathamet, which is accompanying, not burial of the dead, but accompanying the dead. And it's regarded as a big mitzvah to accompany them in this way. And therefore, we need to focus on the mitzvah. That's what we're there for. Focus on the mitzvah. Don't take away from it. Don't allow your uh, interaction with other people to interfere. Make sure you focus on the mitzvah at hand. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Yes, Baruch Hashem. We are back and chatting about things to do with Judaism 101.9, and of course, our topic for today is behaviors at funerals. And as I pointed out, um, the idea of retaining a respectful silence, the idea of not engaging in idle chatter, um, which leads me to topic number two on the agenda, and that is dress code. Um, I'm sure that you have noticed, I've certainly noticed, the diminishing respectful dress code that happens at cemeteries, at funerals. Now, you might say, well, it's a walk in the park kind of thing, but it's not a walk in the park. We are attending a very, very significant spiritual experience. We are accompanying someone on their final journey. We are uh, seeing to and uh, kind of participating in the uh, burial of the dead and the accompaniment to the grave and the elevation of the soul. And because it is such a heightened spiritual event in the lives of uh, the people who attend, as well as, of course, in the <clears throat> spiritual life of that particular soul or that p- particular individual, there needs to be a respectful mode of conduct, but also a respectful mode of dress. Um, it is inappropriate to uh, wear revealing clothing. Um, now, you can argue this until you're blue in the face, but uh, the idea of attendance at a funeral needs to be um, comparative to, compared to attendance in a shul. If you're uh, going to dress appropriately for shul, you certainly need to dress appropriately for attending a funeral, um, and whether you are male or female, one should not attend a funeral in short pants. You should not attend a funeral in torn jeans. You should not be wearing flip-flops. You should not be wearing revealing clothing in any other way. I happened to attend a funeral uh, during the hot summer's days of uh, um, last year where a fellow attending the funeral got a little hot and he took off his shirt at the funeral. Now, if we are surprised by that, well, I think that many people um, who were in attendance there and didn't take their shirts off were maybe uh, just as scantily clad, uh, if you wish, um, at the time. Now, you want to uh, dress like that, that's uh, your issue. But when you come to a place of respect where spiritual respect needs to be shown, it is disrespectful to dress inappropriately as the same token, the same idea as dressing up <coughs> to meet and to greet someone who is um, great, a, a uh, president, a king, and so on. So, too, we would do for God in shul, and we need to have the same kind of behavior and the same kind of dress code when it comes to attendance at a funeral, which leads to 
point number three. And that is that um, it seems to be, for whatever reason, that at funerals there is a lot of hugging, kissing, and hand-holding. I'm not sure if you've noticed it. I've certainly noticed it, that when people are walking accompanying a funeral as part of the crowd, there seems to be a need for, I suppose it's a need for support. I suppose it's kind of a comfort that uh, people feel by contact, by touch. Um, but people, men with their wives, girlfriends, etc., like to walk hand in hand or with their arms around each other. Um, and there is a serious halachic issue with it. Um, in fact, there are two. Um, number one is that if it's the one place in halacha <coughs> that tells us, or rather it is one of the major places, let's rephrase, in Jewish law that tells us, that in attendance at a funeral, one needs to be very aware of the fact that there needs to be a separation between men and women. Now, the same way as we have this ruling when it comes to attendance at a shul, attendance at a funeral, there is supposed to be a separation between men and women. Possibly and probably for the same reasons or many of the same reasons as we mentioned before. We should not be taking our eye off what we are there for, the mitzvah at hand. But more than that, we're dealing with souls. We're dealing with the neshama. And the soul of the individual that you're mourning, which may have lived a life of uh, kind of, let's call it ordinary, natural behavior, and may not have been that religiously occupied, but at the time of the burial, the soul is elevated. You're in the presence of an angel. You're in the presence of the soul of that is ascending on high, and one needs to be respectful of that. In the same way as we would have a separation in shul, so as not to, in averted commas, take our eye off the ball or turn the um, interaction between the sexes into something that is a, a little edgy or perhaps a little bit um, inviting or enticing, we need to be very careful that that is not the mode of operation, the mode of behavior, when in attendance at a funeral. And then there is a second problem. And the second problem, perhaps, which pervades and comes through to many other um, ideas and parts of the funeral uh, service, is the fact that the idea of touch at a funeral, personal touch, is actually conveying the impurities from one to another. So if somebody has just been, let's for argument's sake, a pallbearer, and then walks over and touches you, he's, so to speak, passed on that impurity to you. If somebody has come into contact with a grave or been in pro proximity of a grave or stood under a tree, as we discussed before, close to a grave, that person is in a state of impurity. Now, you're going to argue, and you're right, we're all in a state of impurity, but are we allowed to knowingly contract that impurity when it is completely unnecessary? So you're going to tell me that everybody in attendance at a funeral is going to get into that state of impurity? Yes. But should we actively be passing it along? Should we actively be touching each other and saying, look, I've got this impurity, so to speak, on my being, on my hand, and here, let me give some to you? We certainly should be careful of doing that. We shouldn't do that. We should refrain from doing that. And so all physical contact, actually, between men and men, between women and women, between men and women, between mourners and everybody else, should actually, for that very reason, be avoided at a cemetery. 
It's one of the reasons I'm sure you have noticed at a Jewish funeral. The idea that is always announced by the uh, announcers from the Hebrew Kaddisha that when one is placing shovels of earth into the grave, that one should not pass the spade from one to the other. Now, there are a couple of reasons, I'm sure, for this. One of them is that we don't want to sh- come show an eagerness. That, yeah, you know, like, I've just had a chance. You have a chance. Quickly come, and uh, let's get this burial done. Uh, we don't want to show an eagerness for the burial. Everything that's done at the funeral is done in a way of the importance of doing the mitzvah and doing it in a bit of haste, but at the same time, not being over-enthusiastic about it, not doing it in a rush, not showing that we are really keen to get this person buried, but um, we also refrain from passing the spade one to the other to avoid this cross-contamination, let's call it, um, to avoid this passing on of the spiritual impurities. We're not worried about, at this stage, um, those uh, anything of a physical nature, although you may want to, but um, from a spiritual point of view, we don't pass it on because we're not wanting to pass on the spiritual impurities that are surrounding us, that are there, that we've come into contact with. We've just, after all, been involved in digging and burying and covering a coffin or touching it. We don't want to pass that on. So we avoid that physical contact. And it should certainly be avoided, therefore, Kind of a double reason when it comes to holding hands with your wife or your girlfriend or with your husband or your boyfriend or with anybody else who you want to hold hands with at that stage. And the physical contact between the mourners and everybody else should also be avoided. You will notice when people in the know, um, um, God forbid, have to be in a state of mourning and they attend a funeral and they walk away from it, that they avoid the uh, delayed contact with people at the graveside, rather, there's another reason, of course, that they need to get home to start the process of Shiva, which is uh, next on their agenda, and delaying that should also be avoided. But the idea of not passing on those impurities um, and the impurity that's con- uh, that one has contracted or touched or been involved with <coughs> at the grave or at the graveside is something that is important for us to bear in mind as well. So... Idle chatter, clothing, holding of hands, and passing things on, and shaking hands, and hugging, kissing, and doing all that sort of stuff is inappropriate behavior, actually, at a cemetery, at a funeral. Now, what happens has happened to me as well recently, where you are attending something else. You are there for a previous funeral. You've been at a tombstone unveiling, and you happen to see a funeral coming towards you. Um, the tendency that I think that many of us would have is uh, to run away, uh, try and find the nearest gap and uh, move into a little alleyway and stay there and uh, don't show your face. Well, from a Jewish point of view, from a halachic point of view, you're confronted here with the opportunity to do another mitzvah. And the mitzvah is Um accompanying the dead. You see a funeral coming towards you. Yes, of course. If you're a kohen, you've got to get out of the way. If you uh, need to... Uh, park on one of the side uh, alleys and um, not get in front of the coffin and so on, of course, that's what you're going to do. But if the funeral is passing you by or it's within sight, one should actually respectfully wait there and walk at least four paces, Dalit Amos, at least six feet, basically, that one should walk, a couple of meters, that one should walk together with that funeral procession 
And in so doing, you've done the minimum that is required of Leviathamet. And you've had the opportunity then to perform, to fulfill yet another mitzvah. We are always looking for opportunities for mitzvahs. And this is one that is can and should be done and not avoided. And so not just to stand and stare, not to hide away, not to try and take a path to avoid it, but actually respectfully to stand, wait until the funeral has passed, the coffin has passed you, and then join together with the crowd. And you only need to walk those four paces, and then you can back off, and then you can go about uh, getting home or getting to your car or doing whatever else it is that you need to do in order to um, remove yourself from the uh, from the funeral, which you weren't going to attend anyway. But here you had the opportunity to do this mitzvah, to participate in a funeral, and this, in fact, is the correct mode of behavior. When one leaves the cemetery, one is supposed to wash. Now we wash our hands, similar to the idea of how we wash when we wake up in the morning, because there's a semblance of death. There's that contamination, that impurity of death that rests upon our hands, and we're supposed to wash them. And here, um, interestingly enough, we're supposed to wash our hands and not dry them. The wash, the natilat yadayim that is done, should be done out of a vessel, and it should be poured alternatively three times on each hand. So you go right, left, right, left, right, left, and we then do not uh, dry the hands. We're not supposed to dry them. You're supposed to leave them kind of, you can shake them uh, dry, and certainly in the warmer weather, <coughs> they'll dry quite quickly. Unless you have a medical reason for having to dry your hands, you should not dry your hands when you leave the cemetery. And um, one does not have to. Uh, people have often asked, you know, do you have to uh, dust the dust off your shoes? Uh, no, you don't. That was probably just because people didn't want to make a mess of where they were walking or in their car and so on, uh, because it is a little bit of a dusty place, a little bit muddy from time to time. No, you don't have to do that. The uh, obligation is to wash your hands and... Um, there are certain, if you look and you ask your local rabbi, there are certain psalms that one should say upon leaving the cemetery as well um, and certain mode of behavior. But no, many people have all sorts of uh, traditions that they have uh, thought about, that they have done, that they've made up um, along the way of having to get to um, uh, a, a shop and buy something on your way home from shul, uh, from from a cemetery, from a funeral. You certainly don't have to do that either. So, many different modes of behavior, many different things that we do um, in our uh, behaviors at cemeteries, where perhaps we need to have a little bit of a little bit more direction. And so, hopefully, you've been able to learn a couple of things uh, today, and I hope to be able to add a little bit more as we go along. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. One of the frequently asked questions at funerals is, can you quickly run on your way uh, to a funeral? Can you quickly run to visit the graves of um, parents, of grandparents, of your loved ones, uh, which aren't the, the funeral that you're attending? And the answer there is that um, once one gets to the cemetery and you have come there for a funeral, that is the mitzvah at hand. And it seems to be logical that, uh, therefore, one needs to attend the funeral first um, and uh, attend it in its entirety. It would be disrespectful to break off from the funeral, run to a grave, and then join in again. Um, 
one should rather wait until the funeral has taken place. And once the funeral has taken place and the uh, levaya now is over and the mitzvah is done and uh, the burial has taken place, that then one can, in one's own time, go and attend the graves of others, of those um, who unfortunately lie buried in the same cemetery. It would seem incorrect to go to the cemetery and not visit those other people. So therefore, there's almost, I think, um, kind of an unwritten obligation to actually go along and visit. But that, of course, has the one rider and the proviso that it's not a date or a time when visiting of graves is um, not forbidden, but it's not the right thing. So, for instance, if it is on a chola moed, if it is in one of the intermediate days of um, Pesach or Sukkot, if it is a Yom Tov per se, now we don't necessarily go to cemeteries on a Yom Tov, but if you happen to be in a cemetery on a Yom Tov, um, or Rosh Chodesh. Um, and there are several other dates and times when grave visitation is not the done thing. Now, why is it not the done thing? It's not that it is absolutely forbidden and wrong and, you know, kind of uh, going to incur the wrath from above. But they actually say that uh, the neshama, the soul, is not there. These souls ascend on high and they participate in the Yom Yom Tovim. They participate in Rosh Chodesh um, up on high in uh, the heavenly spheres and heavenly realms. And therefore the, soul, the, the connection to the grave is uh, very, very diminished, if not not there at all, and uh, you're literally standing there and talking to a stone. You're not really <coughs> doing this uh, act of grave visitation at all and um, kind of, in inverted commas, wasting your time. So um, on those days, if a funeral, God forbid, has to take place, um, grave visitation should not happen. On all other days when it can happen, once you do so after the funeral, not before and not on the way and not while you are walking in that direction. Um, there is also the idea of not visiting a grave during the first year. Now, here we have something a little bit different, and that is that we understand, we believe that the neshama, the soul, after it departs from this world, um, has, in inverted commas, a trial. It has the um, proof that it's got to bring that it should go into the heavenly realms, that it shouldn't um, have to suffer any of the indignation and difficulties of getting there. Um, and the maximum amount of time that this could possibly take is up to a year. And so, traditionally, in the first year, we try and avoid grave visitation as much as possible. Yes, people will go uh, sometimes at the end of Shiva and sometimes to for a tombstone unveiling, which takes place during that time. But um, actual grave visitation is not something that one does um, on a regular basis. And in fact, grave visitation per se should not be something that is done uh, too regularly. It should not become like a tradition that you go uh, every Sunday. It should not be a tradition that you uh, kind of uh, always feel that you have to go there. But if you're at the cemetery, as we said, or before Yom Tov or on a yard site, those are appropriate dates to visit. But we don't overdo it. We don't spend too much time at graves um, and certainly not um, during the first year, as we mentioned before. So these are just some of the things pertaining to a very, very difficult topic and difficult subject because it is something that, of course, is not uh, that nice to talk about. While it has a kind of a fascination to some people, um, it isn't nice to actually talk about it. But as I said, uh, interest for me sparked in it because of this funeral 
um, with a uh, predominance of non-Jewish people there, and it kind of opened my eyes to just how much noise there is um, at a regular Jewish funeral and how uh, respectful these outside people actually were of uh, the cer- ceremony, etc. Now, yes, you may throw at me that, well, if you compare the silence of a church, Lahavdil, to uh, the noise, the din that you feel when you come into a shul, I think that's a little bit different. Uh, we kind of have a relationship with God whereby um, it is a lebedika home. It's a, a live, and it's alive with learning, and it's alive with singing, and it's alive with uh, with music, and it's alive with our prayers. And some people pray aloud, and some don't pray so so much aloud. And there shouldn't be that much talking in shul per se, of course not. But um, at a cemetery, there is a lot more of this sensitivity to the soul, to the mourners, and to the mitzvah at hand. Um, actually, then just in a shul, and uh, there should be the respect for uh, for that on all of those levels. I'll be back with you to sum up in just a moment. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So we should be attending to all of our mitzvahs with the same kind of application and um, same kind of feeling and the same kind of focus. We should be focused on our mitzvahs. Every mitzvah that we do, we should do with intent, and we should do it with the focus of exactly what we're doing. And if you just pause and stop and think at the moment that you're performing a mitzvah, just how great a deed you're actually doing, whether you're lighting candles on a Friday night, whether you're putting on tefillin, whether you're putting a coin into a charity box, whether you're eating kosher food or making a bracha on it, we know that the idea of focus, attention, and what we call kavana, the intent behind our prayers, behind the blessing you're making, behind the performance of the mitzvah, is of paramount importance in most mitzvahs, in most mitzvot. We're told, for instance, if you lose some money and a poor person finds it, you have fulfilled every part of the mitzvah of tzedakah, even if you didn't intend to give it. But that's more the exception than the rule. The rule is that we need Kavona, we need intention. How much more so when we think about the added idea behind the mitzvahs of the cemetery, of the burial of the dead and so on. Do we not only need the intention of that um, mitzvah and the attention that we've got to pay to the performance of that mitzvah, which we're doing at the time, but in addition to that, there's the idea of respect. The respect that needs to be shown not only to the dead and to the, to the neshama, but to the mourners as well. For them to see that people are carrying on uh, joyous conversations, chuckling along the way, um, having a bit of a joke, uh, laughing along, and uh, completely unfocused, doesn't leave the greatest taste in their mouths, and it's certainly not going to impress them to think that um, you know all of these people came to uh, attend this funeral of my loved one, but really they were unfocused, they weren't really there. They were thinking about and talking about and doing all sorts of stuff you know, to uh, take their minds off it, and it's uh, not that comforting to the mourners as well. So let's try and reinvent ourselves, refocus ourselves, and get ourselves aligned correctly when it comes to the performance of these important mitzvot, as with all other mitzvot, mitzvahs, that we are want to do. Just remains for me to wish you a great rest of the week, a great Shabbat, a great Shabbos up ahead, and to thank you for joining me today on Judaism 101.9, and I look forward to being back with you again next week, same time, same place, just after two on a Wednesday afternoon for another exciting episode, Judaism 101.9. Take care.